Thank you, Amber. It's good to have the Nelsons back with us. You guys leave a big hole when you're not here. And uh, I'd like to welcome everybody to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. And just a few announcements. Our fellowship lunch next Sunday is Mexican food. And Mac's not here, but you can see that there's a wedding shower for his fiancée. Baby showers downstairs. So I bought diapers for the first time in 32, 34 years. Inflation is incredible. It just, wow. I thought he made a mistake. Um, and we have youth choir practice in the apartment building after church. And that's all the announcements I have. As we prepare to pray and worship Christ today, I'm just going to look at a text here in a second in Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> this week, um, many of our church went to our, the True Church Conference in Muscle Shoals. I wasn't able to go. I got the flu. Um, I don't know where that came from or where it's going, so I'm not going to get too close to you today. I think I'm recovered. It started Tuesday and and anyway, I think I've gotten a little bit better, but I won't be shaking hands or getting too close to you. Um, although I was pretty much isolated from everybody and got it anyway. And no one else in my family got it, so it was just me. Anyway, perhaps I, I need a little humbling, uh, for sure. But in any case, uh, Anchored in Truth was this week, and uh, I really appreciate Isaac for leading the group. Sorry to leave you... Um, to, to it on your own, but uh, I think he likes it better that way anyway, so I don't get in his way. In any case, he does a great job in that, and at least they brought me back uh, a souvenir and a few things inside. Now, a few things are missing, so I'm going to have to talk to some of you guys about that. <laughs> no, um, that, uh, that's a great conference to be able to hear about our partnership with uh, mission efforts, and the mission efforts that we're doing ultimately is planting biblical churches across the world. And today, again, because of Isaac's help in, in organizing this, uh, we have a special speaker from the Philippines, Timoteo Agatis. You will get to hear from him in just a moment. For those who are in our Sunday school hour, uh, we were able to dialogue with him some. And in the month of July, we'll have an online missions conference with us logistically, and perhaps Timoteo will share with us again. So this is your opportunity, though, today to be able to hear him preach the word. And that's really what Anchored in Truth is, is about, and uh, about preaching the word, making disciples, and doing so of all nations. You know, that's our commission here in Matthew chapter 28. It is certainly by the authority of Jesus Christ, Matthew 28, 18. He says he has all authority in heaven and on earth. It has been given to him. The command then is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
That, in a nutshell, is, is our mission and our commission to make disciples of all people. And what a great privilege it is to partner with a sister church and other churches that are doing that. And that's what we're trying to do. If you need more about uh, this and what we're doing specifically, and if you want to participate directly in this effort, I encourage you to see Isaac. He's beginning to plan a trip again next year. It'll be about this time next year. And if you want to be a part, uh, see Isaac about that, and he'll go through all of that. In addition, I really want to appreciate your prayers for these mission efforts and also your giving towards those ends. And I'm really appreciative in the church and how much support that we have. We'll be taking up another major offering in the month of July, so be praying and thinking about that. Let's prepare our hearts to worship Christ today. I want to give you a moment privately to reflect on his word, to prepare your heart, confess your sin, call for Christ to... Um, speak to you today. May the Holy Spirit illuminate your heart. I'll give you a moment to prepare, and then I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Father, we gather to, here today to worship your holy name. We recognize Jesus Christ, who is indeed Sovereign Lord, and we submit to his Lordship. We pray, Father, that indeed we would, would hear and recognize that Christ is indeed Lord. Even this day, he's not only the Lord of our lives, but he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And so I pray, Father, that we would go forth and preach this good news to all men and call everyone to come under the submission of Jesus Christ to literally follow him in all that they do. May we lead others by our doing so. May we be made disciples. We're thankful for our unity that we have with one another because of our union with Christ and Christ alone. May that be the distinctive spirit of our day, that Christ indeed is Lord and that we are one with him. I pray, Father, that we would learn, we would learn of Christ as we grow in this grace and knowledge. May it not just be that which informs us intellectually, but really passionately changes our heart to give us a new direction in life, to be able to destroy those things that are opposed to you by the power of the Spirit, beginning with our own flesh. We confess our sin. We, we thank you that indeed you are faithful and that you will forgive us of our sin. And what a great blessing that is. We need to hear from you, Lord, and I pray that we would indeed hear from you today. I pray that you would be pleased with the worship as we offer up this in song and in um, our prayers and in the 
reading of your word and the proclamation of the word. May it all be pleasing in your sight and may it accomplish what you desire. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 89 verse 1 tells us, With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. So let's take our hymn books and let's stand this morning and let's proclaim his faithfulness to us this week and moving forward by singing number 626. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. 626. Number 46, this is my father's world, Psalm 24, when the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord.
morning. The scripture reading for today starts in Acts chapter 26 and is on page 935 of the Pew Bibles. As we've read in recent weeks, uh, King Agrippa and some of the important people around him are actually curious to see what Paul has to say about himself and his case and his situation. Uh, But Paul commits the ultimate party foul by sharing the gospel right to those important people. And even more, he appealed all the way to Caesar to do it again there. When I was a college student a couple decades ago, I felt out of place a little bit uh, because there were all these kids that grew up uh, going to church and me, I just suddenly started going to church in college and became a Christian. But I read about this, uh, well, no, of course, we're not apostles, and we've never seen Jesus. But I was encouraged to see uh, that uh, he would say that I was one abnormally born in a, in a different situation. And we could read about in the Bible uh, how uh, Satan has uh, blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see the glory of God in the face of Christ, uh, or I was blind and now I see. But here in this uh, I'm so thankful that uh, Luke and the Holy Spirit have given us this nonfiction historical account that also teaches us at the same time, too, where Paul tells the story again about how literally the blinders were removed from his eyes. That's uh, such an encouragement for remembering where we came from and for praying for the friends and family that we know. Sometimes the least likely, most hostile uh, person to the gospel is the one that God by his grace, uh, chooses to save. And sometimes those big turnarounds are uh, a huge story and a a huge uh, benefit uh, to the kingdom. And we'll start in, I'm glad we get to go back into the previous paragraph and start in verse 8, because I like that verse. Why is it thought incredible? Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified 
by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and all those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the living God. Heavenly Father, there is uh, so much beautiful and dense theology in just those few words that we heard from Paul. I thank you that uh, your word uh, is from you and uh, what saves us. Uh, Help it to uh, honor us and help us uh, to pray for and to share the gospel with our friends. I pray that we would all be uh, uh, blessed and encouraged and uh, with a hearing from our uh, guest speaker today. Thank you that that you are doing what your son has promised uh, to grow your church and that uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, I pray that uh, our uh, just brief experience uh, from what we're hearing today would encourage us to pray and to give and to share and even to go. Uh, Help us to give with uh, full hearts today. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.
Take our hymn books once more and stand and turn to number 98. We'll sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. Number 98. Turn to number 50, 156, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 156, we'll sing the first, fourth, and fifth. One, four, and five.
privilege to invite Tim Mateo, a goddess from the Philippines, to be with us this morning. And Tim Mateo is going to bring us the message. You can come on up. And I just wanted him to stand next to me. Don't get too close to me so I don't rub off on you. But if you come over here, one thing nice about this pulpit, Tim Mateo, it was built for me. So, and you and I look pretty much around the same size, so I think it's built for you too. Not many people have filled this pulpit, particularly from foreign countries. I think we had Conrad Mbiwi, so you're up to bat next. So anyway, uh, from Africa, I think he's from Zambia. Um, and so now we have our, our blessed friend uh, from the Philippines. And, and what a great connection this is. It just reminds me of this passage in Revelation looking to the future he says after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and having palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's our, that's our union together. We're looking forward to hearing about Christ from his word today from one of these, my brothers. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Greetings from the Philippines. I would like to thank Pastor Wayne and uh, the saints here in Red Bank. Am I correct? Thank you for allowing me to share and with you the word of God and minister to you and also for the two brothers who brought me here. It was a very pleasant fellowship. I got a free legal education yesterday <laughs> and a good lecture about the civil, U.S. Civil War and I appreciated it so much. Uh, please open your Bibles in the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. I'll be reading from verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. May the good Lord bless the reading of his words. This morning, I would like to speak about understanding the work of the pastor. 
We know that the book of Titus is one of the pastoral letters. The other two are first and second Timothy. Now these pastoral letters are essential to pastors and churches because this would allow the pastor to identify his biblical mandate and duties. It will also uh, provide the members on how to understand, appreciate, and value the pastor and his ministry. When we apply for a job, one of the things that we are given by the company we are applying for a job is a job description. Job description is important because it makes it, it gives us a clear understanding of the job requirements, the job duties, the job responsibilities, and skills required to perform a specific role. And I would say in this chap in, in this pastoral letters, here the Lord had given us the job description of the pastor. Now this job description is manifested in the Bible. For the pastor, this is important for him to know the task and duties attached to his calling. Now, I am surprised in working with pastors in the Philippines that there have been pastors uh, occupying that position, doing that position, but there's no clarity on what should be his tasks and duties as pastor and that really surprised me it will also provide the pastor the motivation to seek biblical education and training in order for him to fulfill his calling and knowing this job description as revealed in the scriptures it will help him measure whether he is succeeding or failing in his pastoral mandate. Now, for the congregation to know what, what the biblical duties of the pastor are, it will help them what to expect from their pastor. If they know the job description of the pastor from the scriptures, they will be able to understand the pastor and his work as well as to give him proper biblical respect. I am afraid that in many churches, pastors are not being given what the Bible requires us in giving pastors their proper respect. The Bible is so clear on that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Well, I know that there's no church that has no problems. In fact, our own congregation, the church in Quezon City, had experienced a crisis the last quarter of, uh, of, of uh, 2023. And I, I searched my heart. Where did I fail? I can say that I have loved the church. I have striven to expound the scriptures every time I have to stand behind this pulpit. Even when we are just having fellowship or after playing basketball games, Filipinos love basketball games, even if we are short. But you know what I had failed? I realized I had failed on one thing as pastor. Uh, 
my human intellect had not submitted to the scriptural authority on this regard. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 12. Paul said, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now you see, Pastors, because of their work, must be respected. It is not the word of a pastor. It is the word of the Lord through Apostle Paul. So if, if we can look at the mandate and the duties of the pastor as manifested in the scriptures, then there would be understanding between the leaders of the church and the members of the church. And that is so essential for the life and and, and, and for, the, for, for the fruitfulness of Christ's local church. Now, in verse number 15, as you would see, I would say that this is a summary of the mandate and the duties of the pastor. Let me read verse number 15. The Bible, Paul said to, Tim, to Titus, these things speak and exhort and reprove, and look at the last part, with all authority, let no one disregard you. There are three works or duties of the pastor as manifested by Paul to Titus in this verse. Number one, the work of declaring God's word. He said, these things speak. The work of the pastor is to preach and to teach the word of God. If you remember when, when, the, when the church in Jerusalem was increasingly, when it was increasing in number, there was a problem. There was a crisis on that young church because there had been a complaint from uh, Greek-speaking Jews that their widows are being neglected. And, and, and uh, could, it could have been led to a greater trouble if the apostles were wrong in handling the problem. P Peter and the apostles said, we should not leave the word of God, the preaching of God's word, to serve tables. Listen, the work of the pastor is to preach and teach the word of God. This is how God feeds his people. The history of the kingdom of Judah should teach as a lesson. They suffered judgment from God. Why? Because the shepherds, according to Jeremiah 23, did not perform their duties as mandated by God. And for that reason, God prophesied and made a promise in Jeremiah 3.15, and I will give you shepherds after mine own hearts, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I will give you shepherds after my own heart. That's the kind of shepherds we need for Christ's churches. Pastors who comes from the heart of God, who knows their work, and that is to feed God's people with knowledge, not just knowledge. Knowledge will be nothing. We cannot apply it properly if we don't understand it. 
And that's part of the work of the pastor. Not just to, get, to dispense information. The work of the pastor is to explain, to exegete, to expound the word of God so that the members of the church, of the body of Christ, should be able to apply the word of God into their lives correctly and properly. The same words uh, Paul gave to the elders in Ephesus when he was bidding them farewell in Acts 20 verse 28. He said, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. Now, I just want you to see that pastors are not volunteer workers. They are God-given. Here in Acts chapter 20 verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. They, they are not self-appointed pastors. It was the Holy Spirit who placed them in the church. And, the, and, the, and, and Paul said, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Pastoring is a very serious job because we are dealing with a body owned by God. He purchased it with his own blood. How does a pastor accomplish the work of feeding God's flock? Number one, he must, he must get his message from God through the scriptures. He must get his message from God through the scriptures. Let me cite some examples from the Old Testament times. Uh, like Ezekiel the prophet. In Ezekiel 3, verse 1 to 4, when, when God commissioned him to bring God's message to his people in exile, here is what God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3, verse 1 to 4. And he said unto me, Son of man, eat whatever you find. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Now look at how God prepared and equipped Ezekiel, the prophet of God. He said, eat whatever you find. Eat this scroll and go speak the house of Israel. The message that a man of God must preach must come from God. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it and I ate it and it was my mouth and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey and he said unto me son of man go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them the man of God must get his message from God through the scriptures in the book of Jeremiah the reason why he was called the weeping prophet, because he preached the message of God. The people hated him. He was charged with sedition and treachery by the king. And he witnessed how God judged the kingdom of Judah. What happened then? Not like the false prophets in the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23 verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. 
if the message does not come from God, it will be an empty message. You will be receiving false hope, God says. They speak visions of their own minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. He must labor in the word. Just like in boxing, I would say that much of the fight is not on the ring. It is in the gym, in the road, preparing, the boxer preparing himself for the bout in the ring. For us pastors, it's in our study table, in a place where we pray, where we prepare for the word of God. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul said to Timothy, let the elders who rule well be counted of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. He must declare the whole counsel of God. Paul said in, to Titus in, 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 in verse number 15, declare these things, declare. Now the word speak is means to declare. And what should he declare? He must declare, he must preach sound or healthy doctrines in verse number one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now the word sound means healthy doctrines. And if you follow the teachings of Apostle Paul, he always refers to the words or the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ when he mentions about sound doctrine. The teachings or the doctrines of Christ is sound doctrine. And I would say preaching sound or healthy doctrine is both necessary and urgent. It is necessary and urgent. Second Timothy chapter uh, 4 verse, verse 1 until verse number 4 Paul explicitly told Timothy the mandate of the pastor. And I'll go straight to verse number two. He said, preach the word. We are not, we are not, in, we are not in liberty to just preach on any message except the word. In fact, the word preach here is, can be translated as herald, an announcer. You are only to announce what is given to you. No more, no less. Every pastor who preaches to God's church is to preach, limiting himself only to the word of God. And he must be ready in season and out of season. Now I would say, with regards to be in season, Sunday morning, or Wednesday prayer meeting, or whatever uh, the, 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 the agreed time of assembly for the believers or for the saints of God that's in season. But you know, pastors are just like doctors. We are on call. We are on call. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, 
with a long with complete patience and teaching why is it urgent for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine beloved let's be very careful this is a stern warning from the scriptures time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth and we are now on this on that condition where people will not endure sound doctrine preach the word he must preach sound doctrine to all age groups that would produce godly mature behavior sound doctrines produce healthy mature church members in other words what would guarantee a healthy church is the preaching and the reception of God's word. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 2 to 6. Please note here that the various kinds of people in our churches. Verse number 2, Paul spoke of older men. Older men are to be sober-minded. Now, this is mature behavior. This is maturity. They must be dignified. They should not act as like clowns, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Verse number three, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. So we have the older men, we have the older women and the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. We are not just to focus on some AIDS groups, a favorite AIDS groups, but reach all, all AIDS groups and teach them the word of God. The test of a healthy church is the maturity of the members. If the church is not healthy, it will not grow. If the church is not growing, it will not bear fruits. If it is not bearing fruits, the church is not God-glorifying. That, that, that was stated by Christ clearly in John chapter 15, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that ye bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And let me just uh, give some additional challenge to us. Teach them while they are young. Deuteronomy chapter 6. When Moses, I love the book of Deuteronomy. It's a repetition of the law. What was stated in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers was repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. I love this book because it was 
God's way of preparing the people of Israel as they were now in the threshold of entering the promised land, a land of blessings. I do believe, as I've said this morning, I believe that there must be a spiritual preparation, that we should first be spiritually blessed by God through His Word, and then other blessings, those material blessings, will follow. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 49. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the, the first and great commandment of God. And all these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, talking to the parents. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when, when you walk by the way. When you lie down. When you rise. You shall bind them as I sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We should know what the Bible says. We should know the doctrines of God. And it should be in our hearts. And we should teach our children diligently. It was the same word spoken by the psalmist in Psalm chapter 78 about teaching our children while they are young. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born. That they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but, his, but keep His commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not prepare its heart and its spirit was not faithful to God. The same tenor was said by Paul to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from childhood you have known this great sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that's the reason why in the Philippines I put premium on teaching children the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the apprehension that if we are going to neglect children in our respective local churches, the next generation of church members or the next generation might be unconverted. We have that responsibility to teach them the gospel while they are young. And, and here is a, a sad commentary on this. St. Ignatius de Loyola, the founder of, uh, the, uh, of the Jesuits. Uh, the Jesuits are, they are the educators of the Roman Catholic Church. He took this principle and he said, St. Ignatius de Loyola said, Give us a child until he is seven and we have him for life. The next is the work of the pastor. He must preach the gospel. If a person 
I would say, if a person is not converted by the gospel, there is no other doctrines in the Bible that he would ever understand or accept. That's the reason why Paul said in Titus verse 11, For the grace of God hath, uh, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is the gospel. The pastor must bring the gospel. So every Sunday, every meeting, people must be reminded of the gospel. Now, the gospel is first of all for sinners who are in need of salvation. That's the reason why Paul said in Romans 1, 14 to 16, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. One of, one of the accusations of, uh, of uh, serious accusations of uh, the Armenian people are we are not preaching the gospel. No. We believe on the sovereignty of God and salvation. We believe that God unconditionally elected us before the foundation of the world. And Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse number 10, we do not say that the elect are saved. We say, based on what the Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy 2 verse number 10, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The elect from the foundation of the world will be saved when they respond to the gospel call. So we have that obligation to, to preach the gospel to the regions beyond. I remember I was invited to, 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 uh, to preach in a church in Alabama many years ago, and I enjoyed the theological discussions, uh, the debates on soteriology, but I challenged the people, the ones who should hear the gospel message, first of all, are the sinners outside of our place of worship. Paul said, if, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We need to carry out the preaching of the gospel to the regions beyond. But the gospel is not only for the unsafe, the gospel is also for the believers. Verse number 12 says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not only for the lost, it is for the believers. Because the gospel is training us to, the, to renounce ungodliness, to renounce irreverence of God, lack of piety, of worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And he must also preach about the second coming in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing 
of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the second coming is so prominent in the whole scripture, not just in the New Testament. And therefore, a faithful pastor preaches the word of God and God's word only. The second work is the work of encouragement and exhort. The word exhort means to call to one side, call for, summon, to encourage. The work of the pastors encourages the believers to continue in the Lord and to apply God's word in their lives. Acts chapter 14 verse number 22. The Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Church members, the disciples must be apprised, must be informed biblically that we will be going through much tribulation because of the word, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is my work as a pastor, it is the work of the elders to be an encourager, just like Barnabas, who encouraged the newly converted soul who was not being accepted by the churches because he was known to be the persecutors of the early church. But he encouraged Barnabas, uh, Paul, Saul. He encouraged John Mark, who deserted them while they were in the mission field. And that actually caused a, uh, a rift between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas still believed in these young men. And we know in the last letter of Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, bring Mark with you, with, with you for he is profitable unto me. There we can see the ministry of encouragement which was Barnabas' ministry and should be the ministry of every man of God. And number three, the work of rebuke. And rebuke, I would say, rebuke is a work difficult and hard to the person who rebukes and the person who is being rebuked. But this is part of the divine mandate as revealed in the scriptures. In Crete, there are people who should be rebuked. And, and, and Paul told the, Titus in verse 9 to 11, he said, he must hold firm, referring to the elders, that would be installed in, in, in Crete. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. But nowadays, the work, the, the work of rebuke is diminishing so much. But this is what the Bible says. Last night or yesterday, I was sending messages to, to, to our church in Quezon City. I, I, I asked them, you pray for me that I will be a pastor according to his plan and purposes. Not according to my liking. Not according to your liking. The pastor must be as God ordains him to be. And part of that is that hard and difficult work of rebuke. Verse 11, he said here, 
of verse number 10. For these are, for there are many who are insubordinate. They would not be subjected. Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those who of the, uh, who, especially those of the circumcision party. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now, what is rebuke? Now, simply put, to rebuke is to tell a fault. And most of the time when we do this, we are being accused of being so negative, being so narrow, but that's the work of rebuke, to tell a fault. To rebuke is to stop a person from sinning. It is the work of the pastor to stand in the way of sin, to keep the saints from sinning. This we do by giving them warning against deviating from God's word and from God's will. The purpose is for the person to repent of his sin. Now it may be hard. And it might be painful as well to those who are being rebuked. But again, I would say this is a biblical work of the pastor. And as long as it is being done within the boundaries of the scriptures, every one of us must willingly accept when we are being rebuked. How should the pastor do his works? What is required in the performance of these biblical duties of the pastor? Look at verse number 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. We are living in the last days. And people are anti-authority. But Paul said to, to Titus, this thing speak, do your work of declaring the word, of encouraging God's people, and rebuking God's people with all authority. Let me say this, the authority comes from God, and it was designed and purposely designed for sanctification for holiness, for the good of God's people, and for the glory of God. He must do it decidedly and firmly. Let me cite what Prophet Micah said about his work as prophet of God. In Micah 3.8, he said, But as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. The authority of the law of the pastor comes from God and he should therefore do it decidedly and firmly. The authority of the pastor in preaching exhortation and rebuke starts in the word and stops in the word. He must do it without compromise. And the authority given by God as the pastor carries out his biblical duties requires hearing, submission, and obedience. Because as long as the pastor is faithful in the preaching 
and teaching of God's word. Don't be afraid to submit to the leadership of the pastor. Because it's not his word. But the word of God. Lastly, Paul said, let no man despise thee. Let no man disregard thee, you. It means to evade. Let no man evade you. Let no man evade the word of God. God's truth must be proclaimed with authority, not with reluctance. And sometimes, I as, as pastor, I, I, I feel reluctant. There are times I feel like I don't want to offend anyone if I'm going to preach the word, but no. Listen, the pastor is first of all accountable to God. His accountability is to God first of all. He is God's servant and he must bring the message faithfully and with authority. God's truth must be proclaimed with authority, with obedience demanded from the church. No disobedience must be no obedience should be tolerated or overlooked. Let no man despise you or disregard you when you carry on the work which God mandated you to do. And when the pastor understands and do the work that God mandated him to do, and the members understand the work of the pastor, then there would be... Uh, unity agreement in the church I told the, the members of, our, of God's church in Quezon City yesterday pray that I will be I will do right and live right and I'm going to pray for you as well as members of the church that you that you'll be right and do right in the eyes of God and if the pastor is right and the members are right then God will be pleased let us pray our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May you bless this message and may it accomplish why you have put this into the scriptures. Bless Pastor Wayne, the elders, the deacons, and all the members of Grace Reform Baptist Church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Timoteo. We had talked, mentioned earlier in the class, discussion about the future. And it's been on my mind as I've aged, and now you're catching up to me, sort of, and it was on your mind, of the future generations. And what a good word for the future generations to think. This is something that I have um, attempted to abide by as well, uh, to simply preach the word. And as you explained it very well, particularly in this passage in Titus. So we thank you for that word. And may it be something that we teach uh, the next generations as well and pray that God would raise up a man of God who would stand and, and do that, not just here, but across the world. And it's gl I'm glad to hear it going on in the Philippines as well. And that has helped us to be able to pray for you as well. And we appreciate your prayers for us. Let's take a moment now to think about God's word and how it would impact each of our hearts and, and what's going on today and tomorrow and the days until 
we see this blessed hope and peering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to give you a moment privately to prepare your heart uh, right now and to think on this word. And if you haven't repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just becoming aware of that even now, you can do so not to me or Timoteo or to any of the elders. Do it to Christ. Take a moment and respond directly to him. If you need to hear from one of us afterwards, we're here to help and pray. But take a moment to think on these things. Praise your holy name for granting us this grace that brings salvation to all people and to be reminded of that. And we do pray for every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every people, those that have been blessed with great light and those who may still be blinded by the darkness that they live in in their culture and religious systems. I pray, Father, that you would raise up many to preach the word and to proclaim it and that it might go forward in unique ways and to accomplish your purposes. I pray, Father, that it would begin in each one of our hearts, that indeed we might live in light of this grace granted to us, that we might be less attracted to ungodliness and, and worldly passions and things that... Um, rear their head up against you and your truth. Instead, may our hearts truly be waiting for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand and turn to 141 in our hymnals. 141, when morning gilds the skies. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you 
to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has declared or has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his blessed Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Father, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.